Welcome to Get a Grip with Shane Bacon, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, hey, welcome to the Get a Grip podcast. I'm Shane Bacon. Hope you guys are having a great week. We're in it right now, I feel like, with golf. You know, one football game left. Uh, it's a big one, but uh, the football is going to go away and the NBA isn't quite there yet. Baseball's not started. And so this is really the time for golf to shine. I have said it a uh, hundred times and I'll say it again. This is my favorite part of the golf season, West Coast Swing. I wish that this was when the playoffs ended. I wish the playoffs would build up and end at the players. And so, so many of these West Coast events could be like the elevated final part of the season. I mean, if you're going to end it, you know, in September, October, why can't you end it, you know, in February, March or April? So uh, that's just kind of where I sit. I mean, I just love this time of year and love the time it's on, especially being on the East Coast and getting to watch some late night stuff. Obviously, a big fan of who won last week as well. How about Max picking up win number six? He is a bona fide super duper star. And I sent him a note after the win and said, you're the best golfer in the world. And maybe some would argue with that. You might hear some Rory arguments and some John Rom arguments. But outside of those two guys, are you going to get many arguments outside of Rom and Rory to really combat Max being the best player in the world? It is wild to see where he is as of now and where he's going, man. I cannot wait to see what he does at that U.S. Open. But a couple things before we get to our guest today. James Nitties joins the podcast for the first time. A buddy of mine and, and obviously professional golfer turned broadcaster and uh, one of the great voices doing a great job with the Corn Ferry stuff. So I think you're going to enjoy that conversation. We're talking a lot about villains in golf today. So that was really the theme of the podcast. But two things. One, I read a uh, children's golf book. I'm sure you've heard of this. The Golfer Zoo. Mentioned it on the podcast just about every time. You can still order one. Go to back9press.com backslash bacon if you haven't got a copy yet. Uh, the reason I'm bringing this up, though, is it's now available on Amazon. And if you did purchase The Golfer Zoo, first, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And two, go to Amazon and write a review of the book. If you do this and you screen grab your review... And DM it to me on Instagram. This is a lot of steps, by the way. It's like four steps. But if you go through this these steps and you DM me your Amazon review, I'll send you a golfer zoo and a get a grip and a ground under repair sticker in the mail. Boom, in an envelope. Send it your way, and uh, you'll get it a few days after writing the review. So appreciate you guys doing that. It just helps, you know, the interest in the book and sales and all those things. So uh, takes you a couple seconds, and I'll get you a little thing for the work. Um, and one more thing. I got a DM just the other day. You guys always have heard of my, you know, long battle with not making a hole in one and me breaking it, you know, at, at Wine Valley a couple of years ago. Uh, a listener named Robert Hammer just made his first ever ace. Big fan of the pot, he said, hit a nine iron at Palm Valley Country Club. Um, and it wasn't just his first hole in one. It was also his first eagle ever. So, Robert, congrats. Hope you're listening. And I uh, just wanted to give a shout out. And if you do something special in golf and you want a shout out on the podcast, by all means, uh, send me a note and I will do so. Okay, enough from me. Let's get to my guest. All right, James Nitties is here. You can follow him on social at James Nitties23. What's the 23? Uh, birthday, favorite number, Jordan, live, where I lived in my house when I grew up. There's a lot of uh, associations there. So, What do you mean where you lived in your house? So were you like the 23rd kid or what was it like 23rd bed? What was that? What's that mean? <laughs> no, the address, just uh, okay. something simple. That was a street number. Um, I needed before we have a couple things I wanted to talk to you about today. Um, and we're going to get into kind of the meat of the podcast, but I wanted to throw this your way. Um, 
Uh, you're a guy I, I respect a lot in terms of how you play and conduct yourself. Um, so I feel like you'd be a good person to just kind of toss this at and get a reaction from. I played golf, I think, on Friday or Saturday out here in Connecticut. It was cold. Um, we've been playing a course called Mill River. They don't have the flag sticks in, but they have holes. So um, unfortunately, I think I've put together one of my better rounds in the last few months. The first time I played it with no flags, which probably says more about my golf game than it does, you know, the golf course or whatever. But I was playing the other day, Nitties, and I hit 18. We're playing Wolf. I hit 18s, a par five and two. I have 30 feet for Eagle. And it was cold. It was chilly. I was I was ready to not be outside anymore. So I go up, I mark my ball, I'm going through my process. And then I was thinking to myself, as the parking lot stands right there by the 18th green, I should go auto start my car, you know, get the heat flowing, right? And uh, so I ran over back to my bag, I auto start the car, I go back to the ball, and I inevitably, of course, I three putt um, for par, which probably cost me like 70 or 80 bucks. So my question to you is, did I give up on the round before the round was over? Is that a bad mental thing to do? Well, you kind of, you're jumping to the, the scenario a little bit there. Like, did you go lone wolf once he hit it on the green, <laughs> which triples the bet, you know, obviously. An eagle. I, I think it was, I think it was a doubled situation there. I think we'd kind of, we'd gone, I think I went lone on 17 and actually won. And then me and my partner, my partner was the guy that, that needed the points the most. So there was a lot up for grabs. Um, you know, we, we kind of pressed the bet once I found the green and two and they didn't make Eagle. So there was a lot flowing, but I just ask you in terms of, uh, the mental side of golf, is that a bad move? Cause I feel like I'd already kind of checked out and I was done with the round. I think so. I would have been all, if I was on the other team, I would have been all over you like a spider monkey, just being like, Oh, look at this guy. I think he's just going <laughs> to waltz into the car nice and warm with all our cash, you know? So I don't know if there was like any kind of uh, smack talk there. So that might've, you know, did you knock it way by? Did you like, uh, you know, I, I just hit a terrible putt. I had four feet and it was one of those. I was thinking about it at this point, you know, I'm, I'm thinking I'm just going to lag it up there to a couple of feet or for, to a foot and they're going to give it to me and my birdie's going to be good. And uh, when I had the four footer, I was really thinking like, did I screw up with the way I, I'd gone about my business the last five minutes? Yeah, knowing you, you kind of some, I think going to your bag to to get that warm car to go to was a, a way of you getting out of thinking about the situation too yeah, much. Because I've, I've, I've been there with you and getting in your head over the last couple of holes, it's not too difficult when you think about it too much. So I think this was kind of you just trying to uh, ease the situation a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I thought I thought I thought you'd have some some decent points on that. And you know what? I'll never do it again. I, I learned my lesson. Um, Nitties, we were talking, we were texting about kind of this past week in golf, and, and I tweeted out something um, after Rory had won. I don't even know what day he won on. I, I screwed up that tournament like four times in terms of what day and round it was. I think it ended on Monday. Who the hell knows? But, um, you know, you have Max Homa win, obviously, in, in at Tory, and then you get Rory winning uh, and kind of holding off Patrick Reed there. And I tweeted out the poster for the Nice Guys movie. I mean, it really feels like that in and around golf, which got our conversation going, and it was about villains. And I wanted to bring up to you, I'm sure you saw this, but Harry Higgs talked about this about a month ago with Golf Week, and he said, um, quote, we joke about this going back and forth that live, he said, they took all the assholes. They took all the villains, and that's a problem. They took some of our best players too, but those who have left haven't put us in a spot where it's like, oh, shit, you know, all the great players are gone and playing somewhere else. 
that was from Higgs about the live players. And I'd been joking last year a little about this as well. It seemed like if there was a draft pick on the guys that could rub people the wrong way, it felt like live had the first five picks. And the question is, is this not great for golf? Because good guys winning is awesome, but you want to see the good guys kind of hold off the quote unquote bad eggs. And you got a little of that, of that with Patrick Reed, but we don't really feel like we have that villainous figure in golf anymore. No, you're 100% correct. Uh, look, I've been saying this for a couple of years now and, you know, amongst buddies like yourself and just in uh, group chats and stuff, there's just the tour. It, it's Look, I love the PGA Tour. It's in a little bit of trouble because there's no parody. There's no storylines. Um, it's everyone's making a lot of money, slapping each other on the butt. We see little fist bumps, you know, between lead groups, uh, good shot. And when we talk about villain, it you don't have to be a shit bloke. You right, can, right. It, it, like Tiger was a, a massive villain. And yep. he, it's it, all about, look, uh, Christian Bale, like there's this cool quote where Christian Bale said, when he was filming Dark Knight with Heath Ledger, he's like, I'm in a little bit of trouble here because in every movie, the villain's always cooler than the hero. And he's like, Heath's taken it to another level, like that acting <laughs> performance. He's like, I've really got to step up what I do to become the hero. And that's what makes movies entertaining. It's what makes sports like NFL has the villains, the rivalries, the parody. And over the last couple of years, I think the PGA Tour, it's just missed the mark on that. These these guys, once again, they're just making so much money and they're all buddies and that's fine, but there's no gamesmanship anymore. So when Tiger was the villain, he he was that guy that he would go stand a hundred yards in front of you. He Adam Scott was, you know, on a podcast the other day, and he said that even Tiger would hit on certain holes the wrong club. Like, right. uh, you know, don't look. And then he mentioned to Adam Scott afterwards, don't ever look in my bag again with like a wry <laughs> smile. So now Tiger had that kind of personal life where, you know, he had, he rubbed people the wrong way. But as far as golf, he was the purest of villains where he had enough people on his side that wanted him to win and enough people that are sick of seeing the dominance. So, it was, it, you're right. The tour's been that way for a while now. Even Max um, Homer talking about, you know, being in the last group with um, Colin Morikawa and like he putting him on a pedestal going, oh, this right. guy, he's one of the best iron players. And, you know, I, people told me if you look up at the leaderboard and you don't see the killers, then you're the killer. But I saw like five killers and I'm like, I'm sitting there and I'm like, Max, you don't have any weaknesses right now. All right, these guys, right. are, you know, so I'm like, you know, it, I think that it'd be so like, it frustrates me. I, I tried to create this a little bit when I was on tour, not the villain, but just a different brand that wasn't the the vanilla, just boring uh, kind of golf that we see a lot now where guys just turn into robots so easy because under pressure, it's the easy thing to do. You get nervous, say the right thing. You don't want to mess up like a, after a Saturday or a Friday round and say the wrong thing because you might play bad on the weekend. So we don't see anyone that, that they kind of want to wrap their hands around. Like this would be, I, and I'm talking to someone else. I was like, this would be amazing if like you sat down with a team of people, like, cause with all social media and the amount of content getting put out there that could create, like, let's you're like, all right, you know what? I want to be the villain. So right. how do we do right. this in a way where like, I'm not an, an idiot, like I'm a hated person, but how do we do this where I like kind of rub people the wrong way. And then we were throwing out the people that could actually be the villain because you need, you need, there's a couple of things that need to happen. You need to be one of the top 10 in the world. Right. You need to be kind of cool. You can't just be this kind, 
you know, you can't be silent. You, you need to chirp up. So the three that came to mind straight away for me were, were Ram could be a villain for because sure. he's, you know, he, he's, he's got all the tools, he's fiery. Um, but then everyone says he's a teddy bear when he gets out of, outside the ropes. And then Thomas could be a villain because he's, he's not big. He's that kind of like wiry guy that would, you know, ruffle fellas and he hits it a long way. He's got all the tools. So there's, there were a couple that we could throw out there. Now they would never do it. Like why would they? They're making millions of dollars and they're beloved, but it's, it, yeah, it's just one of those things where I was like, it'd be so cool. And we don't have though that in on, you know, the two of these days, everyone's just doesn't want to say the wrong thing. Yeah, I was I was kind of writing down the list. I love that you mentioned Tiger in terms of the villainous role, because I think villain isn't it isn't it, it, it the connotation around villain. It shouldn't be negative. Right. I mean, you're not a bad person just because you're a villain. And I was writing down kind of people I felt like have filled the villainous role over the last few years in golf. And uh, by the way, Nitties, follow along with this because you're going to get a sense of where all these golfers play their golf now. Kepka, Patrick Reed, Phil Mickelson, Sergio, Ian Poulter. And I wrote Tiger, and I feel like Tiger was the villain, much like Roger Federer was the villain. To me especially, you know, in my younger years when Tiger came up, I was a left-handed golfer. I was the biggest Phil Mickelson fan in the world. You know, I was always rooting for Phil, and Tiger would step on his throat and beat him. And I felt very similar in the in terms of Roger Federer with Andy Roddick. I mean, I'm an American. Andy Roddick was a hero of mine. I mean, I was a big fan of his. And every time you'd watch those Wimbledon finals, and it'd be fourth set, fifth set, and inevitably Federer would close it out. And he was a villain to me because he was holding off the guy I was hoping would be able to take home the trophy. And I found this Alfred Hitchcock quote about villains that I thought was perfect for this discussion. He said, the more successful a villain, the more successful the picture. And the picture in this conversation is the PGA Tour and professional golf. And I'm with you. It it, it doesn't make the best video. It doesn't make the best storyline. Disney doesn't write a lot of movies about a good guy just being a good guy the whole time. They've got to have somebody to defeat. And in golf right now, I feel like, Nitties, the only time we get this really villainous characters is when we get to these team competitions. And even the President's Cup doesn't feel like this a lot because it's been so lopsided. It really comes down to the Ryder Cup and the Ryder Cup alone when we get to see people, to your point, rub a group of people or fans the wrong way. JT is a perfect example of this. When the Ryder Cup comes around, all the European fans find him very annoying. That was always the case with Ian Poulter and Sergio Garcia on our side. And I'm just wondering if there's somebody that exists. And Nitties, you said a few names. Listen to the top 10 in the world right now. Rory, good guy. Scheffler, good guy. John Rahm, and you said it could fill the role, but still a good guy and a person that's easy to root for. Cam Smith, Good guy. Patrick Cantley, Xander, Morikawa, Zalatoris, JT, Fitzpatrick, Hovland, Finau, Max Homa. I mean, those are the top 13 players in the world. You'd have a beer, dinner, you'd wake up the next day and still want to hang out with all 13 of those guys. And I feel like the tour either needs a young guy to pop up that doesn't want to be buddies with any of these guys, or we're going to have to figure out a way to get some live players involved every now and again so that you can get Bryson playing against a few of these guys to get a little bit more, you know, blood boiling on the back end of this. That's not just, I want to beat this guy because they give me a trophy at the end. Well, you, you said it perfectly. It's going to come down to the majors and they're going to be the, some of the best viewed sporting events of the year because of this polarizing, you know, golf community and stories that we had last year with live in the PGA tour. Uh, you, you said it perfectly. It's, 
there's no one in that top 10 that's going to take the mantle for villain. Like, it, it just... And then you're not going to get the young guys that are going to come out and want to be the villain because they've been watching these guys that are inside the top 10 for the last five, six years that have got them on a pedestal. So they're not going to say the wrong thing. And once again, it's uh, golf, professional golf, and at the highest level is all about, well, if I say the wrong thing, something bad's going to happen and I'm going to play, you know, terribly. So it's it, like you mentioned tennis. So that's amazing. Now we've got... Tennis is going to meet the same problems that the PGA Tour has got right now. Is we, right. you know, you you haven't Nadal's breaking down, Federer is retired, and then Djokovic, who was the villain out of that big three, I mean, he's maybe got two or three years left before he starts kind of you know getting eclipsed by every now and again by a young guy, and it's you know that that it's something even rivalries like it's no there's no real rivalries on the PGA Tour. Yeah, it's a good point. It's, you know, they talk, you know, these guys are, you know, in group chats and even Markara tweeted out to Homer, you know, I look forward to the battles ahead. But it's like, really, you guys are laughing down the fairway. You're talking about, you know, like what, you know, what you ate the night before. And so it's, uh, you said it to perfection. We had Kepka, we had Bryson. That was one of the biggest rivalries. That was one of the biggest social media kind of blowouts over the last couple of years. They both went to live. Right. And, we it's, lose that. We lose that right away. Kepka was perfect. He was the ideal villain. The guy, he didn't say much, said what he thought, but kind of tweeted and, um, you know, put, put stuff out there on social media that was, like, annoying. You're like, what are you doing? Like, this yeah. is – but it, he knew it. And he, so he, he kind of embraced the, that role. And then, you know, the, the, the Bryson thing came along, and he was like, look, how, if it, even if it was 50 to 60% true – it was still great for us because Kepka had the majors, Bryson had a major, you know, they're, they're both at the top of their game. And we had that story. And, and like, as I said, social media was just going nuts. It was amazing. And then, so when we lost that, we're like, well, that's why this week has been one of the best sporting weeks when it's come, you know, not only did you have the, the Dubai Classic DP World Tour, you know, you got the PGA Tour where all the good guys were doing great. Uh, <laughs> but then you had this, this rivalry that everyone and drama that everyone has earned for with a tournament that wouldn't have got that much, you know, play or uh, because it was, you know, awkward time zones, unless you wanted to get up in the morning and watch it. But that whole, and you saw Rory, the way he talked about it, you know, this was an emotional win for him. He couldn't let it get in the way with, you know, especially with Reed. He never mentioned his name, but right there. And they, the tour even kind of doctored them two playing together in the final round, which is, I think that would have been the greatest you Gotta know, lean into battle. It. Yeah, like the, these these are opportunities. I mean, I thought the PGA Tour whiffed with Bryson Brooks and the major championship organizations didn't do a lot either. Like these are important things for your sport. I mean, I was trying to think of the last time, you know, I, I say you want to draw a line. You know, you want to have a rooting interest, not a gambling interest, you know, not your favorite golf or your favorite team interest. If you're watching – 49ers Eagles and you have no money on it maybe you're a Cowboys fan and you despise the Eagles or you know maybe maybe you've never been a big fan of you know Young and Montana and that whole crew and they were winning all these championships and you were never a 49ers fan but at least if you draw a line in the sand you're going to stand on one side or the other I was trying to think of the last major championship that really felt like you could draw a line and it was probably the 2018 Masters you know where it was Patrick Reed 
playing alongside Rory and Rory hits it close on two and he's got that Eagle putt and you're like, man, he's going to do it. And then he misses. And it was a somber situation. Nitties on Sunday evening after Reed made all those putts and got up and down and leaned on the short game as he always does. And he was the master's champion and Rory wasn't. And there were people rooting for Patrick Reed that were fired up to see it, but at least you cared. And I, I fear for golf that caring about who win, who wins and who loses outside of the major championships is going to be something they're going to struggle to find. And considering the PGA Tour is such an enormous part of men's pro golf, and it's probably, what, 96 97% of all the events we watch throughout the year, you want to at least half the time draw a line. And I'm scared that that line's not going to be drawn because, to your point, you're like, all right, I like Max. I like Morikawa. I like... Sam Burns, you know, I like Patrick Cantlay. I mean, all these guys are likable and easy to root for. And if you don't have a FanDuel or DraftKings account going, you're not really, it's not really going to change the way you think about the event outside of, of who wins for what you're rooting for personally. And I just, I fear we're going to lose a little bit of that. Cause you said it, you know, Djokovic was the villain and now Federer's gone. So all those Federer fans are really only rooting against Djokovic in terms of history. Nadal fans know the French is coming up. There, there isn't quite a line in the sand as much as there was four or five years ago when you really knew who you're rooting for. Yeah, you said it with tennis, like just to touch on it briefly, it's, look, Djokovic was the villain, but now everyone knows he's going to eclipse the major record. Right. Like if he was five or six away, you would get a little bit more kind of interest of people rooting against him. But now everyone's kind of like, well, you know, I'll watch the final. I'm not going to watch the rest of the tournament because I know he's going to get there and exactly. I know he's going to overtake. And and then what you were saying with Reed versus Rory, that has been our best rivalry in the last, I think, in the last five years. For us personally, like new age people watching the PGA Tour, getting involved in it, you know, even the Ryder Cup with, you know, how For he's sure. like, you know, like all that stuff, even if, you know, and Rory, they didn't hate each other. Like, they weren't, like, before this lift stuff went down. I would say there was respect there, James. Like, I would say that there was respect from Rory's side to the Reed camp about his golf game because you talk about two players that, that excel in completely different areas in the sport yet are competing on the same playing field and are at times beating one another in different situations. I thought that there was mutual respect, which again is a big part of creating the rivalry and a villain is having a bit of respect for their skill set and what they're able to do. Yes. And, and look, I don't know Patrick Reed. I'm, I wasn't a huge fan of his personality when he was on tour. But you can't deny the guy is one of the best competitors, if not ever, to play on the PGA Tour. He just finds his way around the lead right. and uses that as fuel. And and he's not well-liked by the golfing community. But then I think, as you said, Rory kind of saw this and he's like, hang on, you know, I'm this beloved character. You know, I'll take my the, the tour on my shoulders. And, you know, Rory's just a freak of nature. He, he just, he's one of the most impressive golfers I've ever seen. And, you know, I, I I got to watch him. I played a little bit when it, with him when I was on tour and, you know, how kind of raw he was. And now into this guy where I'm like, is there anything he can't do? Right. And 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 really being, he's he's trying to take the mantle for one of the guys that's, you know, going to be at the top of every leaderboard for a couple of years coming at least. You know, it's so hard to do. He's not the youngest chicken in the barn. But but as we said, that was our, that was the only reason, you know, we kind of watched that, you know, and read like any regular season event, he kind of, it was almost like, you know, Aaron Rodgers always kills my Cowboys. 
And, you know, it's like gives him something to play for. You know, he's having one of the worst seasons of his life in this year with the, the way the, the Packers were going and then comes out and beats the Cowboys. And I'm like, of course, right. get a reason to right. play tonight. So, look, there's got to be – we can't – we the public wants us as golf fans, we want this live versus PGA Tour. We want it to happen. Yep. Like everyone knows it's needed. Surely the PGA Tour, they're sitting down and they're racking their brains in every board meeting. They're surely they're working out how to make it happen outside of the majors. It has, if you had, like, and everyone said this a million times, we know it, but if you had Live versus PGA Tour, Ryder Cup style, it'd be one of the biggest viewed sporting events of all time. And it's golf, and I can't believe I'm saying that, but it would be with the way that the landscape's been over the last year and a half. It's, it would be insane. And, there has to be a way, but obviously, look, it's I, I, it's easier said than done. Right. But like, who's going to control the event? It'd have to be, you know, it, there's because there's so much kind of chest, you know, puffing of your chest out between Norman and Monaghan right now, and you know, I'm sure that but it would be the greatest thing ever. And especially as I said, I'm going to watch all the majors this year. I'm going to watch from Tuesday to Sunday. Right, now, press conferences yeah, are going to be must watch now. The press conferences, there's going to be little spats and drama between the players' interactions before the tournament gets going. Then we're going to see who's playing together, and there's going to be a whole new conversation of all this drama. Will the tour put, like, will they do what we want in the public, or are they going to, like, kind of dance around it like they did last week with Rory and Reed? And look, it, it I, I'm excited, but I wish that somehow that, look, it doesn't have to be all year, just just in between these regular season events before we can find our villain on the PGA Tour or at, at least the guy that wants to take that, you know, that kind of mantle on. Yeah, it's been interesting to to watch the last year in terms of the way we, we react to comments because forever it was just a player's comments against another player or whatever they were thinking they said, right? And you had Bryson's snippets. I think the Bryson Brooks thing is, is a great point. You had what Bryson said and you knew it came from Bryson and you had what Brooks said and you knew it came from Brooks. And I feel like we've kind of placed all of these live comments in a live bucket and all these PGA Tour comments in a PGA Tour bucket and you kind of lose who's throwing barbs at one another because it's just live versus the PGA tour. And if we're not going to lean into that, that's not great because if we lean into it, that's excellent. Then all of a sudden we've created drama by having this new age tour go against the PGA tour. I mean, look what Phil Mickelson was tweeting, you know, over the weekend. I mean, he was throwing shots on Twitter at the PGA tour at golf channel at places like that. And that's great and all, but if nothing happens on the golf course, it doesn't help the sport. And that's the thing is we have been softballed, gifted an opportunity to create drama that we only get once every two years to maybe do it three, four, five times a year. True drama too, James. Like this isn't made up stuff that we have to, you know, we have to use social media and, and media strategy companies to make make sense and, and to come up with beautiful posters. These are real true animosity coming from both camps. And to lean into that would give an extra layer of professional golf. I was going to ask you, in your time playing golf, were villains made because jealousy existed? I feel like jealousy doesn't exist anymore because what you said off the bat is everybody's, you know, gaining and, and, and earning from this boost in money around golf. Uh, look, not really. The, okay. the villains, when I was around, look, I, you know, 13 years ago, I played on tour 09 and 10. And 
it was more because of the drama. The villains were made because of drama that happened on the golf course. So, gotcha. you know, you remember uh, Sabatini, Ben Crane, yes. uh, the whole slow play incident. Um, then, but Sabatini, like he was a villain when I was around. He was fiery. He was one of the best in the world. He didn't mind saying what he thought. Like he had a couple arguments with, you know, different players. And then you've got you, you, like a little bit. Bubble was kind of a villain. For sure. Absolutely. Uh, but a quirky villain. I don't think he knew what he was saying sometimes. And he was up and down. Like sometimes he's, you know, very emotional. And, and you know, he's after a win and he's got tears. The next time he's like having a fight with Steve Elkington about like who's walking first. And the, look, I thought that was all great. And, you know, Bubba was a nice enough guy. Um, you had like Poulter, obviously. Poulter was more passionate villain. Um, VJ, another guy that was kind of, you know, I played a little bit with, but he was a villain because he was one of those guys that just had no filter. He would say what he thinks. And if he doesn't, he's kind of a little bit arrogant, but he was super talented. So we, Look, we didn't have, a, you know, Anthony Kim day. Like, I played with Anthony Kim, and he was villainous because passion, once again. Right. Didn't care what people thought. Uh, loved being a competitor of the game and rubbing people the wrong way with, like, how good he was. So, yeah, but it wasn't – jealousy wasn't there. Um, okay. It, uh, you know, the, the domination wasn't there. That Once again, I, you know, I played – Tiger was still killing it on tour when I was around. Um, you know, he would just give every event different juice. So maybe the jealousy of Tiger winning too much, but that it didn't come from the players' side. That was more from spectators. So yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, you, and you it, it, like to touch on what you said about all the live guys. If if you did create something five times a year, like you said, the the live villains, the guys, they're not regular season players. So they could be you watch even if you like were checking the live results as the PGA Tour season kind of rolled out. You're like, oh, look at Brooks. He's, uh, you know, finishing 20th every week. And, right. But they're competitors. So if you put them in a situation, wouldn't money wouldn't even have to be included. I, I know people like to say, oh, you're getting paid, whatever. But if you put like a Liv, a Bryson, I mean, sorry, a Brooks, a Bryson, even a Mickelson in a situation where it's like, all right, now it's us versus you in a it's team ego. environment. It's, it's, an, it's ego yeah. is, the, is the currency. And their competitors, they like Brooks is a, the perfect example. Like he would, he would just be like mulling around during the PGA Tour season, and then he'd come out and win two majors. And you're like, hang on a second, he isn't. He's like that tennis guy. He's like Nadal going into a tennis event that doesn't play any regular season events. Comes right. into the event as like the eighth seed, and you're like, hang on a second, come on. <laughs> he's going to smoke this guy that's the number two seed because he just, you know, he, he gets up for the big events. So that's where, yes, you they mightn't have a good record regular season, but these are the competitors breed one of the best ever to be like, we'll rather get up for a, a situation of drama or tight competition more than like just winning a tournament for, you know, a load of cash. Remember when uh, Jordan Spieth was going to play his whole career with Patrick Reed at the team events. That seems like a uh, 13 lifetimes ago. Hey, uh, you've, you've mentioned playing with Rory as a youngster and Anthony Kim as a youngster. I was just wondering, what young player, when you got paired with them, were you most excited about seeing them up close for 18 holes? And what young player blew you away the most when you did get that opportunity? Uh, definitely, definitely Rory. Uh, like, because he just had that, uh, he just won on the European Tour. He's like, I played with him when he was like 18, 19 on the Curly Air and Chubby? Yep. Yeah, nice. Harbour Town. And uh, it was him. It was Fowler. Uh, Fowler was another one. Fowler was the... 
one of the guys where I was walking down the range in my second or third event, I think it was waste management, and I could hear the sound that he was making. And I expected to, you know, turn around and look at one of the bigger guys like an Adam Scott or like oh, I knew because I was the Aussie, but and I turned around, I see and his little long-haired Ricky Fowler. And <laughs> I, I stood there and I watched it. It was just so pure, so out of the center and so casual and loose for him. Like it was, he was just kind of, you know, clean his club, go over to his bag, get another club, come over, perfectly flighted, perfectly sounding iron. Uh, Dustin Johnson was another one. He was a little raw. When I played with him, I was like, wow, this, this guy's got a lot of the tools. Wasn't, you know, under 100 wasn't as good as he is. obviously is now kind of revamped his game. Um, so they're off, you know, Robert Allenby was not a young guy, but he was one of the most underrated ball strikers I've ever okay. played with as far as consistency of flight. You know, one of those guys that just hits the same shot over and over. Back then for him, it was like, you know, I'd play with play with him in Australian Opens, a couple of tour events. And, you you know, you, you stand kind of next to someone and see where they're going to hit it. And he would always hit this shot and it'd, it'd be like 10 yards with a seven iron right of the target. And I'm like, that's just a block. And then I'd put my head down and then I'd look up again. This thing's coming straight back onto the pin. Like the last, it's almost like it turned like five yards in the last 10 feet, you know? So <laughs> he was impressive, but uh, I mean, I could go on with how, you know, the impressive guys, but yeah, Fowler was one for a sounding. Uh, Rory was still, as I said, a little raw when I played with him, but you could see it straight away. I'm like, ah, this guy's a, a much more better than me that I think right now, even though I'm on the tour with him. You know, the tour has changed so much in so many regards. Like, obviously, talking about the villains, and we have this new tour that started up last year, and golf is going to get this Netflix show in a few weeks. Like, it's popular. It's growing. People are interested in it in different re reasons and for different and for different ways. But what I've I've noticed in terms of the players is the way players dominate golf now. I mean, you think back to Tiger's dominance, and Tiger's the outlier, outlier, obviously, but Tiger's dominance lasted year after year after year, and he was so good for so long. But even guys like Ernie and Phil, and I mean, VJ, VJ won 17 times between 2003 and 2005. You know, these are numbers that if it happened now, we wouldn't even really know how to contextualize what that player was able to do. And what we're seeing now, James, is we're seeing these kind of short spurts of dominance, like Scheffler last year. You know, Rory now, it's been the last year, I'd say, and going is, is how good he's been. Obviously, he's a different beast in terms of his abilities and, and what he's done throughout his career. But, you know, Rom as of late, has been great. Max uh, has been one of the best players in the, year, in, in the world over the last year, year and a half. Is it strange to see shorter dominance windows now and why do you think that is compared to 010205 when you really had four or five guys that would dominate for you know years on end well it's it's funny the the year you said 0405 uh for me personally uh look I, a lot of people might agree i think it's technology what technology has done right now it's made golf easy now yeah. You know, I, I think golf's the easiest it's ever been. Like Billy at his club can shoot 65 now. Like it's just, but it's also made competition and, and being competitive the hardest it's ever been. Like look at the PGA Tour over the last three, four years, the most first-time winners you're going to see. And, and a lot of guys where you look up and they're like, Who, who's this guy? Where did he come from? So it's like, <laughs> for me, what it, what it's done there's no there's no separation anymore. It's brought a lot more guys from the middle of the pack, not to be able to and look, I'm 
I'm a pleb. Like, uh, I'm not saying that these guys aren't good golfers, but right. it's brought those guys from the middle of the pack that wouldn't have ever contended in tournaments uh, to now being able to just have their best stuff, best stuff for an entire week, get hot and win a tournament and be like, oh, I got you. I'm 35 of the last six holes. And like a lot of, we're seeing a lot of backdoor wins is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, and it, it's, it's super hard. You said it like Scheffler, Cam Smith, uh, Rory, then, then Ram. What it's, it's incredible. And everyone just thought Scheffler was going to be this guy that just dominates the way he was doing it. But then you look at it with technology. Uh, as I said, you don't have to play as good. It's, it, sometimes it just comes down to a putting comp. Sometimes it comes down to guys that feel good on the West Coast. Uh, we, look, look at Max, an example. He yeah. loves it on the West Coast. <laughs> he wins out there all the time. Then you, you, know, you might have a guy that's dominating in the Florida swing and then you go to different surfaces and he's like, well, this doesn't feel, you know, this, the, the wind conditions and the, the weather and I'm not close to home here. It's harder for me to dominate. I have responsibility. You know, like, so it's, it's I think, person, personally, if they rolled technology back, and this is a blanket statement because I don't know how they get, there's so much money involved right, with right, all these right. club companies right now, but it, would, it wouldn't hurt golf. It would just, the best in the world would separate from the pack. Like if you roll everything back, just Rory's going to get better, and and Scheffler's going to get better, and Cam Smith's just going to get better. They're going to separate. JT's going to win everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, but this what the separation is going to do. It's going to create more parity, more stories, more shot shaping, more ina- imagination to be able to play the game. I'm sick of watching tournaments now and being and hearing like, oh, Justin Thomas is the only guy that can shape it both ways on tour. And I'm like, yeah, because you don't have to. Even right. Thomas said himself, he goes, yeah, I know it's like a stigma in, a, in the media right now, but he goes, I actually don't move the ball often. Like it's, you know, so you would have to, if there was a little bit more spin on the ball, the club base was more, you'd have to shape more shots. You'd have to flight shots down. You'd have to make a decision whether you're going to go after a drive because, hey, if I, didn't, if I miss the center of the club face here, the ball's going to spin more, you know, 15 yards off the fairway for another you know, two or three mile an hour club speed is going to turn into 60 yards off the fairway if I don't center this. But now, like, you, you, you can just tell by the driving stats. There's no one that drives it great anymore. Everyone drives it good. No one drives it, you know, you know apart from Rory and a couple guys, but everyone drives, like, the average yardage on tour has gone up over nearly 300 yards. Yeah, I mean, everybody everybody hits it forever and they hit it straight. Like, it does, they don't have to deviate the golf ball. To your point, it's like, I'll hook my three-wood, I'll try to cut my driver, but other than that, I'm going to hit it relatively straight. And there's been a, I think there's been a resurgence in terms of, like, youth confidence is seeing what Jordan was able to do and seeing what Rory was able to do and now seeing what Scheffler was able to do. And this confidence, and you see it, uh, you cover a lot of Corn Ferry. I mean, you see these young players get out of college, go to Corn Ferry, win right away, but more importantly, expect to win right away. Like there's no more of that two and three year buffer anymore on the corn Ferry tour where you're trying to quote unquote, get your feet wet. Like you're jumping into the pond, man. Like let's go win right now. Cause let's get our tour card next year and not wait four or five years because I don't want to miss out on my prime years, which used to be 32, 33, 34. That's now 22, 23, 24. Yeah, and you, and you said it like I was I was covering covering the Farmers Insurance Open for PGA Tour Live this week, and I was baffled. Well, wasn't baffled because we, you know, me and yourself covered some corn free tour events. 
that I, the half the leaderboard was corn free to a guy. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is incredible. Look who's playing good. Obviously, Taylor Montgomery is a guy that's been doing well all season. And I said it last year coming on the corn free tour. But if you didn't watch the corn free tour, you'd be like, who's this Taylor right. Montgomery Who the hell's guy? this guy? Right. Who's this, who's this Cam Young guy from a couple of years? <laughs> you know, who's Will Zalatoris? And you're like, hang on a sec. Like now, and I'm so you said it to perfectly. It's getting deeper, and the PGA Tour has seen this. So you can see the PGA Tour University program, where now they're going to offer college kids, you know, the direct pathway to the PGA Tour. And I think they should. You saw after the 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 group of Morikawa, Wolf, um, the Hovland, they would have all been PGA Tour University that would have went straight from you know their college days into the PGA Tour if, if they were on this program. They did it through sponsors' invitations anyway. They were one within their first five events and i see it at the grassroots level like i just you know i still try to play a little competitive golf here and there so i'll play some mini tours and i'm i'm witnessing like the guys are winning with 28 under the cuts are like six seven under and these are just regular kids that are like oh i'm playing you know so it's so the game is the deepest it's ever been once again it's the most competitive it's ever been you if you're not and, and we say that but it's also Look, all these kids, the average age on the PGA Tour has dramatically dropped. I think, what is it? It's 27, 28 right. now. Not even like five, six years ago, it was 40. So what is happening now, and this is what, apart from the tech, technology that I said to you, what I think is happening, you've got young kids that are, they're, 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 try, they're getting the most out of every facet of their game now. Now, you know, obviously with the technology, with TrackMan, it's it's almost like cheating. You can just it's like a coach in your back pocket. But then you've got determined young kids. Like when I was on tour, and you know I might have got a little bit of heat for this, but I, I wouldn't mind. You know maybe if I miss a cut, I'll go check out the nearest bar, or I'll go hang out with a couple of the boys and have some you'd beers. Have a, you'd have a beer when you played pro golf through the year. That is come on now, come on. You had uh, you had maybe <laughs> two or three two or three pops. Yeah, but it, and it, it's uh, look. Even if we go back further to like the the olden days or the golden days, that's all you did. You play golf like you know, we're talking about Hagen and right. uh, even Nicholas. All those got Palmer straight to the bar, a couple of whiskeys, cigars, and if you didn't, it was seen as kind of like a you know you're you're a disadvantage or you you weren't you know kind of talking shit in the bar after the game. It's like that was more of a gamesmanship, but now. You know, kids, are, as I said, traveling with TrackMan, they're, they're working on not only analytics, but it's course management. They're breaking down courses like it's a game plan for a, a playbook for the NFL. They're, they're using the numbers to their advantage to make decisions for themselves on the golf course. You've got the fittest kids on earth. They're in the gym five days a week. Their post and pre-round recovery and warm-ups are just, in, even though you didn't, when I was young, you just roll out of the car to the first tee. <laughs> Your back was sweet. Now it's like the, the the consolidation of like that's why the the game is so competitive right now because everyone is squeezing the most out of everything. Mental coaches, uh, yeah, they've been around for a long time, but it's just like you've got people telling you how to think. You've got, you know, as I said, it, it's just and you do you go out to a PGA Tour event and the entourages for these twenty six year old kids it's like twelve deep. Yeah. Yep, like, what is yep. like a mini party over there? Like what's going on? <laughs> Can I get in on that? Like so it's uh it, it, there's just so much more that's going into the game of golf from the standpoint where I gotta do this to compete. And if not, I'm gonna be a great golfer that makes no money and has to get a day job. So 
it's uh, I think that all that's all that technology, just kids like leaning into the game, becoming more nerds and robots as you know, where it's just, it's now it's going to come down to victories as we've said, and as we've seen with Max, it's all between the years. That is it. And that, you know, for him, that's where I think he's turned it around to become this world-class player, but, it's uh, yeah, it's just so difficult now. If you're not hard work, isn't hitting balls. Hard work is pre-round stretching, post-round right. recovery, ice baths. That's what hard work is now, especially for the veterans, where a lot of the guys like the Roses, the Jason Days, they've they've got to revolutionise the way they see practice because practice isn't hitting balls. They know they can hit an eight iron straight. It's like, all right, how can I be in the most optimal physical and mental? you know, condition at the start of the week and the end of the week to be able to compete with these like insane athletes and, and robots that are all pretty much the kids now. Hey, can I, I have a Justin Rose take um, that I sent a couple of people the other day. So Justin Rose posted, um, I think it was on his Instagram. It was a video of his like at home gym and his walls. This I know this, he's not the only one that does this, but his walls are covered with pictures and images of himself like golf moments. And I've always thought to myself, that would be such a weird thing to be like working out in your own gym, looking at pictures of yourself doing good stuff. Like, I don't want any photo. Like you can look around my walls here. There's a tiger picture. There's a lot of golf stuff in here, but I don't need images of like your best article from 2012. Like, I don't know. I just thought that I, I found that peculiar. And I sent that to a few of my friends and said, Images of yourself in your own gym. That's that's a that's something to do, I guess. And he's English, and he put that out there. It just shows that he doesn't uh, <laughs> he doesn't have the friendship group that I have. Because if I <laughs> just taking you all, apart, oh, it would be a bloodbath if I had that. <laughs> like, like I get the motivational point. Like maybe put your major win up, or you you know, like one in the corner, a little small one, or a snippet, or a little blurb out of a golf digest or something but i would you just i wouldn't be able to i wouldn't be able to go on with life if i had that so that's yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm with you on the you friend know. thing like it's hard to plank when you're looking at an image from like uh burkdale you know and you're like i gotta do 20 more seconds of of this plank as i think back to 1998 i do want to get in the time machine with you and go back to 2009 if you will obviously pebble is this week Next week is waste management. I think you tweeted something about like waste management and Super Bowl week in Phoenix, like nothing in the world crazier than that. Uh, you had a crazy first experience. It was your first start in 09, right? At the Phoenix Open. Is that right? No, yeah, it was my third start. So I was a rookie on tour. I got my uh, PGA Tour card through Q School, which they're going back to this year. They're right, right, five, right. You know, which I think is awesome. It's gonna that is gonna create awesome stories. You're gonna get veterans coming out of the woodwork with dusting the cobwebs off, thinking that you know maybe it's it's still my time. Yeah, you know, I even thought about it, but it's like, uh, yeah. So I got through final stage at Q School. Um, I was just trying to get my corn fairy to a card, to be honest. And, and this is in, this up. was in 08. Oh, wait, yep, yes. Yep. So, uh, you know, a, a funny snippet from that Q school. I played with Harrison Frazier in the fourth round. There was six rounds back then. And uh, I uh, he shot – he missed a six-footer on the last for 58. So, <laughs> taps him for 59. You know, we played together in the last round. He's seven under through 10, and he's got like a 15-shot lead. And I, I just said to him, I was, like, I was like, relax, mate. You've got this, all right? Just don't <laughs> worry about it. We'll battle it out for second place. 
Uh, unfortunately, you know, Harrison Frazier won a couple of times on tour, but battled injuries. He was at a supreme talent. But anyway, so uh, Sony was my first event uh, on tour, which it like as a rookie, I was a kid in a candy store, but it, it, it didn't, it doesn't feel like a PGA. I played in big events. It feels like a holiday, like a kind of relaxing beachy atmosphere. There's no, the club manufacturer, the trucks, nothing's out there. Um, everyone's kind of a little bit off edge, if I would say, you know, like, let eat, you know, I'm just coming off my off season. Right, I'm right, trying right. to lose some weight. Let's you know. Um, so then the Bob Hope Classic, which is now the American Express, was my first event. And that was my most eye-opening event. Like I turned up, you got the the dome weather, beautiful grass. The, it, it almost feels like you're you're in a movie, a high-definition movie when you turn up there. So it's like, this is great. The club, all the, the trucks are lined up behind the range. Uh, actually, one of the coolest things I ever thought was there was an in-and-out kind of food stand on the range. So, you know, of course, today's, Day age that won't happen, but I I think I punished like three double doubles and I'm trying to hit balls and and I was just like this you know it was easy to get caught up in it all because I'd never seen of course like, of course so cool you know they're giving me this and, burger for free this is amazing I know like and so it's uh, look it, I um so the the reason I mentioned that as my second event is because you know they talk about how low it was this year that year I think Pat Perez won with like minus thirty three so thirty three under. I missed the cut. So I, I missed the cut at Sony. So I come here and I missed the cut and I'd shot, I think I shot a 14 under. So I shot 14 under for the three round cut. The cut was 15 under, but I'd shot 10 under 62 in my third round. So I was like, okay, you know, like it's the best missed cut I've ever had in my life. So then, you know, we, we, we leave there and we drive across to, uh, you know, Waste Management Phoenix Open, which back then was the FBR Open. Um, it's Super Bowl week. The Cardinals are in the Super Bowl. And so, you know, the, the place is bubbing, bu- like buzzing for 2009. Um, and, and how old I, are you at this time? Uh, 26. So you're 26. Uh, 20- you're, you're Australian. You're coming over. You're single. I mean, like this is as good a situation as you could find yourself in it, it, at this place in your life. Yeah, yes. And look, I, I was having a blast. Like, I, I, it gives me shivers now just being, you know, fortunate enough to be in that situation where I got to play some of the biggest PGA Tour events of my life. But this was, and I still say it now, it's, it was, it's my favorite event to ever have played in my life. Like, I played in one major, um, you know, I played in all the invitationals and, you know, I, can, I kind of contended in a couple other events and some great locations and courses, but this was my favorite. You know, so... You, you turn up and something that people wouldn't know. Okay. There was a player party on Monday night. Okay. So is this every week or just Phoenix open week? Uh, I think there was about six or seven throughout the year. Okay. Now they weren't as good as this one, but look, we're in kind of different times right now, but this was a player party for the players. Big name players were there. We turn up as one of the biggest clubs in our, uh, Scottsdale. I uh, forget what, Barcelona, I think it was called. Uh, yeah, I remember, just, hey, hey, been there before, baby. I've been there of course before. You have. I think, listen, of I, don't course think it's, I don't think it's around anymore, but that was like up in North Scottsdale. It was huge, if I remember. Massive. Yep. And so we, me and my caddy, we, um, so Tim West was a guy that kind of runs pro ams and, you know, sort of extracurricular activities. And this was a, a place where, he invited us, and I'm like, all right, uh, okay, it's a Monday night. Right, let's just go check it out. And my, me and my caddy go check it out. And 
couple of guys are sitting at the door. The car park's empty. So we drove there and we just maybe have a drink or two. And um, we turn up and we go through and it's almost like you open up. It opened up into the club and this whole club was rented out. There was a sea of girls like this. There's maybe two to three hundred. I won't exaggerate, but it felt like two to three hundred. It's okay. probably a hundred girls, 150 girls and 50 players. And I just looked at my caddy and I was like, this is something out of a movie. It felt like entourage to me. What is this? And, and, you know, I look over and I'm not going to mention the guys are there, but those were the best players that were playing the event. Like, I'm just like, hey, look who's here and blah, blah, blah. And so me and my caddy, we just looked at each other and I was like, all right, I'll meet you here in about half an hour. He's like, sweet. So we just like kind of did a circle around. and But it was incredible because what, what they did that, they would invite girls like throughout the year, post for the year. So all these girls were, look, they're beautiful. They're some of the most beautiful girls I've ever seen in my life. Coming from Australia, where mentioning golf to a female would get you laughed out of any establishment that you were at. <laughs> so the accent obviously wasn't a big deal. Um, I got a head on me like a bulldog chewing a wasp. So it's not, I had nothing really going in Australia. And then you come to America and everyone thinks you're Crocodile Dundee and you know, it's uh, you're this new shiny toy and, and just having a conversation with someone is fun. So that that was the start of the week. I go there and I'm like, holy, this is unbelievable. It can't get better than this. But uh, oh, it, and it, I'm and I'm assuming you'd known a little bit about what this event was about, because, again, this is oh, this is oh, nine. I mean, now everybody in the world knows that the Phoenix Open is the biggest party in sports and it's crazy and 16 and all that stuff. I mean, this was just after I'd got out of college. It was a big deal, but it was, to me, it was a big deal locally. Like, it was a big deal in Phoenix, the Phoenix Open was, but it wasn't this national phenomenon like it is now. No, and I, and I think, look, having the Super Bowl in town kind of juiced it up right, a little bit. Right, sure. Uh, we, were, we always knew it was a fun event, but it wasn't the party event. You know, there was still plenty of events that I played on the PGA Tour that year, like the Byron Nelson, you had the Buick. Uh, in Flint, Michigan, you had like a, a, there was plenty of other tournaments that put on this party atmosphere. So it wasn't, you know, like Harbor Town was another one. Like they're just so this, I think it kind of gained its legs after possibly 2009 with having the Super Bowl there. Yep. I think the, on the Saturday, there was, I think, recorded and they don't really release their numbers. And I was, I was listening to a podcast the other day, actually, where, and I kind of gauge it, but I'm pretty sure on the Saturday back in 09, there was around about 200,000 people through the gates. And no one goes, back then, the front line's a ghost town. Like all the, more of the elderly volunteers, they try to work on the front line because, you know, like all the young college kids get a little bit of cra- bit crazy. So just picture on the, the 10th, the 10th hole, 10th green, the 11th tee, the 16th, pretty much that's 200,000 people in that right, area. Right, right. So it, it, and look, I'll go back to, you know, the start of the week, but the greatest thing about this golf course is you, you're playing the front nine. You can hear the roars from 16 on the front nine. It's about, probably about two miles away. Right, right, so right. So it feels like something out of uh, uh, Gladiator. Like it sounds like a Coliseum. So it's like these roars, but they're muffled by this stadium-like kind of structure. So it's it's scary. It it, it gives you those shivers. It's like ominous. Like, it, like what is that noise? Yeah, and then you so you play the you play the front nine, 
and then you like turn and then you it starts getting a little bit more boisterous and then and by the time you get if you've teed off the front nine to start with by the time you get to the back nine everyone is three sheets to the wind you know they are you, you got you got people throwing up girls throwing up in trash cans right. you got guys passed out in the sun um everything you would imagine now this i'm sure it's crazier than this now so that you go you get through the 10th and you go at 11 then you know 12 13 14 and then you kind of get on 15 and you're like shit i'm gonna play 16 <laughs> next and i know everyone says is like oh it's just a wedge and you know i would rather hit a three iron on a tough par three with no water no crowd and just be like yeah whatever who cares if i make a bogey this is like i just i don't want to catch hosel like just don't catch hosel <laughs> it'll be on sports tonight it'll be on top worst plays of the day you know you just like please and don't shake for it for god's sakes yeah, like the wedge, it feels like it just has the biggest hosel on earth. So um, before you get in and you walk through a tunnel, it's like going into a boxing match and you come out and the crowd just goes nuts because not necessarily for the player, but they're like, sweet, we've got our next three yep. like uh, people we're going to try to make them miss the green and give them shit. And, and it was like, and there was actually there's a group of college kids that sit like, and I don't know if they, I'm sure they're still there now or, Probably, you know, it's a little bit more expensive to get in there on the 16th. But they would research every player in the field. These kids would research the weirdest and unknown facts about your life. And it would, it, like, some guys were like, a, you know, a pet dog they had when they were, like, eight years old. And they'd yell at, you know, scruffy, scruffy. And they're, they're like, just to put the player off, like, the players are like, what? how'd they find that right, out? It's right. like, so not, not only are you nervous and you're like, how am I going to hit this green and not catch full uh, Tom Hanks here? But then they're like yelling out these crazy facts. And it's like, it's, you know, the back then it wasn't really huge for people to like get the crowd up and tell them, you know, so you got like some people shushing people, you got people yelling out, you know, like a random noise kind of factory area. So it, one of the, and I love it. It's a, there was a lot of players on tour where I was on tour that hated it. And, okay. you, know, you know, old kind of beige dudes that were like, this is true. I'm like, well, just don't play. Like this is, it's once in a lifetime opportunity to be a golfer and feel like you're in the middle of a, a football or a soccer game and have a crowd going nuts. Like this is an amazing experience. We're never going to get this. We're not athletes. So it's, uh, yeah, I think uh, it was funny because I signed with, um, Talk, you know, people are going to get the wrong idea about me, but I signed with uh, Oakley and great partnership was with them for a long time. And I was like, look, these guys are going to yell crazy things and they know fun facts. I, and I, I'm pretty sure I know what they're going to yell. You know, something I used to get at school, not bullied, but kind of kids would give me shit about. And when I was playing professional golf in Australia and I would lead a tournament, these would be the chance. And it was like, it, it was Chelsea Nitties. So Oakley were like, well, you know, let's make shirts and let's put it all over the shirts and kind of beat them to their own game. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, it's kind of cool. And, you know, I ran it by my mom and my sister and, you know, every female in my life. I was like, look, is this insensitive? You know, and like, no, you've copped it your whole life. That's your last name. You might as well embrace it. And I'm like, all right, sweet. Looks like I'm doing it. So like I, in the end, Oakley sold out of these shirts. So we got really? like 30 of these people walking around. Like, it's just funny because it was bright blue. And so I'd be like, oh, they're, they're, you know, they did a shirt for Parker McLaughlin, who was also with Oakley. He's now short game chef. I'm sure he's going to be around Waste Management Open, but he had ones that said Parker in the rear or something. I'm like, it was a little, you know, risque. But right, it's right. Like, oh, it was 09. It was 09. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah. It was 09. It was, it was a lot more fun. So, um, and then, you know, so I talk about that. I turned up, all this is going on, but then the first round I shot 65. I shot 65. Six under, six right under. into it. Courses a little shorter back then, a lot more length. Um, you know, I, I think the, the winning score was four, minus 14. So it's still difficult, firm to fast, but my favorite goal. So I shot 65. You know, the middle two rounds, I kind of meandered around the top 10-ish. And then the, the final round, I think I, I – the final round I turned, uh, I was tied for the lead through 12 holes at minus 13. So right now, I'm tied for the lead, got off to a great start, and I've got a, a four-iron into the par 5 13. I hit the greatest shot of my life, went through the back of the green. It was like 230 yards, biggest four-iron I've ever hit. Trying to land it short of the green and keep it short of the pin. If you go along there to that back left pin, you're screwed. Impossible up and down. Yeah. Don't get that up and down. Cut to 15. I got six iron in on 15, the par five. Hit it in the, not a good shot. Hit it in the left trap. Make par. So then we go to 17. Uh, and, you know, no one wants to listen about my epic gas gas effort but <laughs> 17 i hit it greenside to the to the right pin where brooks chipped in from when he won right 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 difficult pin i chipped on and three putted so i'm greenside i make bogey there part of the last i miss playoff by two shots i'm sure everyone else has got their story i finished fourth biggest check i've ever made in my life i think it was around about two hundred forty thousand dollars. um greatest week of my life like one of the best weeks not only from a a viewing spectacle standpoint, uh, something I'd never been a part of in my life as far as like stadium golf and then being able to have a top five. But uh, yeah, one of, one of the best weeks of my life, hands down. Um, this was also the week I was covering this event um, for Yahoo or I tried to find the article um, for Yahoo or AOL or something at the time. And this is when I found on your, um, on your PGA Tour profile special interests, which is by the way, Still on the website, your special interest. Because I, I, I knew. Here's what I thought at the time. I'm, I mean, '09 is what 13 years ago. I'm like, I'm like similar age. You know, I'm like 25, 26, covering this thing. And um, your three interests, special interests, mind you, were clubbing, movies, and girls, which is still your special interest on the PGA Tour website. And I remember thinking, this is either the coolest guy in golf or the worst guy in golf. And I don't think there's any in between. And I'm happy that it turned out to be one of the coolest guys in golf because uh, I got a chance to to work with you and hang out and play some golf. But yeah, it was funny because you burst on the scene. You had all this confidence. You were like fun to cover. You had, you know, interesting quotes after your rounds. Like you were one of those guys that as I observed it, looked like they were really enjoying being a professional golfer and you're in this environment that's crazy. And again, at that time, it wasn't as cool as it is now to play in the waste management, like going, you really had probably 70, 30 in terms of players that hated it versus liked it. Now it's probably the complete reverse, but back then you'd get guys finishing their own role in their eyes and not doing media and not doing press. And you were a guy at the time that was in this, you know, playing in your first Phoenix open, you're in the mix, you shoot 65 out of the gate, and you seemed like you were in the place you wanted to be in. And so you had, like, American fans really rooting for you that final day. Yeah, I, <laughs> that was my bio from when I was on the Australasian tour when I was, like, 18 years old. And I was, I was pretty honest 
when it came and direct and and then I got to the PGA Tour and I was like, hang on a second now, we we're talking about this like villains and you know right, brands right. and I was right. like, you know what, I'm just gonna who cares? I I I, I got a good bunch of mates. They all know who I am. I'm not a party animal. I'm not a chauvinist like I, i'm you know respectful and also i'm married now and my wife knows this story she just laughs at it i try actually i did try to change that i don't know how it's changed but whatever <laughs> you know maybe it's a little different but it's you know I, I i competed and then i would if i played well i played well enough to you know be in the media tent maybe six or seven times that year and they would always address oh so you're a party animal or you like clubbing and this and that I also pretty sure, you know, like I never took part in in uh, heavy extracurricular activities. I liked if I missed a cut, I'd go out with the boys, have a couple beers, you know, talk to a couple of girls, get shut down, whatever. It just the same, whatever twenty single twenty six year old would have done. What everybody the tour, does. The tour ran with this, and I became this huge party animal. And I, I think I was one of the most drug tested players on the PGA. Really, like one year I got randomly drug tested seven times and i'm like all right you know like i played 26 events and i'm getting sit you know one every three event i'm you know one every, you know nearly one every four and i'm getting drug tested like come on guys and um and also like it did rub people the wrong way like so i leaned into that and i'm like whatever like i know my buddies know who i am whatever but even i, I remember playing colonial one year and and justin leonard come up he approached me on the range and he's like not happy at all and Fantastic player, great guy. What you know, probably a little bit more uh, streamlined as far as like personality goes uh, than most. But he come up to me and he's like, "Look, are you for real with putting this as your bio? Like, that's don't you think that's a little aggressive? You know." And and I'm I'm a rookie and I just got an invitation into Colonial this that year. It was a it was an invitational only, and I can't I remember like it was yesterday. I doubled down. I just said look, mate, I'm not here to be boring and a robot and tell everyone what they want to hear. I was having a little bit of fun. I was joking around. I put it on my bio 10 years ago or six years ago when I was on, when I turned pro, I was like, just relax. You know, I could have put uh, sitting and watching TV, fishing and uh, the outdoors. But I figured that this would be fun. Um, so, you know, just relax. And he was like, okay, okay. I get it. I understand. But back then, like we talked about before with stories, with parody, with villains, with brands, uh, everyone has the same brand now. No one wants to step out. And, and I get it because like I, now every event I played well is like, oh, you've been partying, you've been right. doing this. And I'm like, no, I even had friends that would come over and hang out with me for tour events or corn Ferry tour events when I went to the corn Ferry tour. And they're like, dude, you don't go out at all. And I'm like, well, no, I, obviously, you know, because people back right. in Australia are like, well, Nitty's missed another cut this week. You must have been at the clubs every night. So, <laughs> look, I was okay dealing with that, but I just thought it was a fun kind of angle to take. And um, I did get a lot of TV time for it. Like, there's always these analytics and stats you can see for sponsorship and, you know, how many minutes of coverage you get. And for a rookie, I remember being, like, I was, I was in the top 10 my first year. I was like, how did I get all this play? I wasn't even, you know, contention, maybe seven events. but. So, I, look, it was, a, it was a way I went. Obviously, it's hard to shape after, you know, when you do get in contention. And that's the only – because they don't ask me how I played. They want to know about, like, what kind of festivities I got up to through the week because that's exciting. And that's what – I think if you go to, towards the PGA Tour right now, I think that's what the public's thriving for is 
they want to, there's every, all these kids, they're all got wives or girlfriends. Um, as I said, the, the game is their life. Um, it's who they are. It's what molds them. So there's another Batman quote actually there. But um, so it's <laughs> like, it, they, they're scared to go out on a limb and that's why there's no variety. It's like no one wants, there's no kids that are like come out and they're like, oh, a little hungover today. So yeah, today, you know, in a pre-round interview or something, a little hungover, but uh, you know, I'm feeling good and uh, maybe I'll get it done today. Like that'd be the best ever. Like even if it was just authentic and you had three glasses of wine at dinner the night before that, you know, maybe Joel Damon and Harry Higgs are those kind of guys, but it's like they they try to lean into it a little bit, but it's uh, yeah, I think there's, Golf's kind of like gasping for that right now. I appreciate that you never changed it. I always thought it was an amazing three things to have as your special interest. By the way, I looked up Justin Leonard's special interest on his website, uh, hiking and skiing. So a little bit more in the vein of what you would probably assume would be there. Um, not clubbing. Clubbing's a great thing to throw in there. Who doesn't like the club when you're 25? <laughs> Everybody does. Who doesn't like girls when you're 25? Everybody does. Like, this is what you do. So we appreciated the honesty. And I got a good chuckle uh, years ago when I saw that on your profile when you were uh, when you were out there firing low numbers. Um, did you have – so how many times did you play waste management? Do you, do you know? A just two of times? years. I, just um, two years. Okay. Just two years. No, I know. And then 2010, I missed a couple I shot. So okay. let's just say I – I did uh, adhere to my profile after I missed a cut by a shot. I think this year I heard because they put they put on concerts. They there's right. like it's an amazing it's it would be an amazing event. Exactly, it would be you know what. And actually, then I went the following year after that. Um, Oakley had a portion of the 16th Stadium hole kind of reserved, and I went as a spectator. He hands down one of the best sporting events I ever went to. Uh, now, obviously, I was getting free uh cocktails you know because i was with them and you know we were obviously placing bets on the players coming out i'm yelling out abuse like i'm like hey if i got abuse yelled at me this is the fun way to be here part of the crowd i'm now i'm on the now i'm on the spectators team i'm not on the players team anymore but it was you know i miss a cut it was one of the best experiences best miss cut i've ever had even though i really needed to make a cut at that point in my on 2010 um, and then as a spectator, went and tried to Monday qualify, went there as Oakley's guest, which is one of the most amazing times I've ever had. And, it, you know, this year, like to give people a perspective of the type of, you know, Maroon 5 is playing at the, um, I don't know how they call it, the Coliseum or whatever the party the is. Nest. It used to be the bird's nest. Yeah, yeah. Is it still not yeah, the bird's so nest anymore? I think they might have changed that. It's, That's uh, lame. yeah, it's you know, 2023 right now. So maybe a bit more. <laughs> A centered naming place but it, it, it was uh yeah it, it's just a fun event now unfortunately it's probably difficult to get tickets now like it's it's so crazy i heard the prices of you know in the 16th hole and that but if it, if it's uh it's a trip now like used to try to get tickets to go to the masters and that's like an epic bucket list trip now waste management it's a bucket list trip especially i think i threw out a tweet there last night that is there a better 24 hours going from the last round at the waste management open to the Super Bowl, right. like yeah, it's going to cost you half your bank balance. But how good would that be? That'd be epic. <laughs> and and Sunday and Sunday always. I mean, it's it's crazy now because Sundays are so popular there. But you know, five, eight, ten years ago, the sneaky best day of the year in golf was going on Sunday to the Waste Management because 
there would be a tenth of the people there that were there on Saturday and Friday, and you got to really watch the drama unfold. And late in the day, like late in the final round, so many people would depart to go to Super Bowl parties or wherever they were going to watch the game. And so you could get pretty intimate with the final couple of groups if you wanted to, if you were like a golf fan that actually wanted to see golf shots. But, yeah, I I will always remember you for 09. Um, I did want to ask you before we go, just in terms of transition, because you talked a little bit about, you know, transitioning player into watching golf and now obviously commentating on golf. Uh, what's been the easiest part of the transition? What's been the hardest part of the transition? Uh, easiest part of the transition is still being around the game, uh, you know, kind of doing a little bit of you know early days for me in the broadcasting world. But still having that kind of adrenaline, the nerves before you go on air and, and be able to cover something that's familiar to you, but not knowing what you're going to say. Uh, like sometimes the, the hardest part for me is um, I was such a field player. But now, you know, with, with, with the things you have to learn about the game to be able to break down someone's swing, uh, break down the numbers, uh, you know, the cadence of someone, yell, you know, talking over you in your ear. Like, I mean, obviously your experience, you've been in this business for so long, but it's very hard. Like, you just imagine someone yelling in your face and you have to talk over them about what you're looking at that's happening behind them. So it's, it, it's a way, the, the, the behind the scenes with broadcasting and the cadence and, you know, working with different hosts, uh, it's, uh, it's kind of difficult uh, trying to, to deliver information easily to the viewer instead of, uh, you know, I try to be that person that whatever, whatever I'm saying everyone that's watching will understand, not just the golf nut. Uh, that's, you know, so I'm learning and I love learning. Uh, also, the hardest part is is study. I hated study at school, sitting down, prepping, writing a bunch of notes. I've already got a blister on my finger from writing. Uh, it's, you know, just that sort of stuff. Uh, but it's, look, it's it's amazing being able, being able to have the opportunity just to do it and talk about it um, and be around the game with all this new kind of, stuff that's happening from younger players to the drama. Uh, I think it's awesome. And, you know, being able to work with yourself, the, the baby goat of broadcasting is, uh, <laughs> has been a pleasure and, and super fun. Uh, just take all my money. I, I promise you this year, here's my promise. I'm going to win money off you at some point. I think we're doing um, the rumor is I might, we might be doing some KFT together um, throughout the year. And if that's the case, we did, did we do two or three events last year together. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. You're, yeah. And you, and you beat me, you beat me every time. I mean, I, I didn't play bad. You just, you, you fucking pro golfers would go out there and make like three birdies over the last four holes. And you're like, awesome. So uh, was that a $40 loser or did I lose 60? What was it? I'll Venmo you, but uh, that I mean, this is my year, baby. This is my year. So the hope is that I can at least take like a dollar off you at some point when we're playing some golf. Oh, I hope, look, I hope you do. It's uh, very hard yeah, to there. And, That's uh, a lie. You just you, lied. You just lied. I'll just lied uh, on the podcast. I see it. I see how this goes. I hope you do. I know you don't. Cut, cut it short really quickly. But when you sent me a picture of your, your clubs and they're all cleaned up in the hotel room and like these, are, and you said, these are coming for you tomorrow. I was like, all right, we've got a game here. So, <laughs> so you built, you build it up a little bit. And I like that. It's, it's good to have a little bit of competitiveness, uh, not only, uh, on the ground, but for a little bit of cash. I, I would say that to any broadcaster that does golf or is new to golf, I would say one of the greatest ways you can build chemistry with your partner is to play golf the week you're going to work with them. Because you and I, I mean, again, I'd, I'd known you for a long time. I mean, yeah, we joke about 09 and I joke about the special interest thing, but like I 
I thought you were entertaining off the bat. I mean, obviously for multitude of reasons, but you were different. You talked different. You actually looked at, like I said earlier, you act like you enjoyed what you were doing, which wasn't always the case with the kind of older guard that was the professional golfer. And then to get a chance to work with you, like right off the bat, obviously we hit it off, but to go out and play golf in any competitive nature, I mean, maybe you're not similar handicaps, but you can play a game with strokes. That is such an unbelievable way to find chemistry within a team because this industry, it's hard to do that. You know, you said it, you work with different hosts. I work with different analysts. You're bounced around with different networks at times. It's not always the easiest to really find that chemistry that, you know, say, um, you know, Zinger's going to have with Dan Hicks, you know, who knows he's going to work with Dan every single time they go out there. But an easy way to build that is to spend five hours on a golf course together because you're going to learn a lot about the person you're playing with. You're going to have some chuckles and you're going to get a feel for the real personality and not so much the quote unquote work personality. So I'm glad we did that. And I look forward to more rounds. That's James Nitties, by the way, what do you got coming up, James, that people can check out, find you, watch you, listen to you, see pictures of you to give any information out there that's possible. Well, they're not going to see all of those, but uh, as we've been talking about in this, uh, Great conversation. I'll be doing WM Phoenix Open, covering that on PGA Tour Live on ESPN Plus, and I can't wait. It's uh, I'm are you in Florida or Arizona? Where are you going to be? Uh, I'm always on site in Florida, but okay. you know, I was able to cover Sam Ryder's hole in one last year, which was unbelievable. Nice. So hopefully, something crazy is going to happen, and you can. I'll be a bit spicy on the telecast. I'll, okay. I'll try to throw some humor out there. Nice, nice. That's James Nitties. James, I appreciate it. I'll see you. Uh, I'll see you soon. Thanks, mate. Pleasure. All right. Big thanks to Mr. James Nitties for joining. Make sure you follow him across all platforms. He's a great dude doing some really incredible stuff in and around the Corn Ferry Tour and with PGA Tour Live. Uh, thank you guys, as always. We'll be back next week. Got a big project we've been working on with the Netflix series that you'll be able to listen to right here on the podcast platform. So look for that around the 15th. That is release day. We'll be back next week.